Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. There's a new installment of Emmanuel Acho's Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. Uh, encourage you to go to YouTube and look for it. You can just ask YouTube to take you to Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man if you don't know how to spell Emmanuel, which is God with us, so hopefully you do know how to spell that. And Acho is A-C-H-O. So Emmanuel Acho's Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. The latest installment is with Chip and Joanna Gaines and their five kids. It is absolutely um, it's like must-see TV, but it's on YouTube. It's a conversation about um, colorblind or seeing color. So are you, uh, are you a person who was raised to believe that we should all be colorblind? Well, actually, from the perspective of Emmanuel Acho, we want to see color. We want to see color clearly. We don't want to be uh, colorblind because, after all, God created the beauty of our diversity. Um, God sees color, and so we want to be people who... Uh, who see the beauty of the diversity of color as well. He also talks about, um, you know, just the reality of the things to which we are blind. Chip Gaines acknowledges uh, his blindness in related to in relation to some of these issues. Emmanuel shares uh, his own story about going to Nigeria every year on a medical mission trip and fitting people for glasses and people saying, you know, well, I don't need glasses. I don't need glasses as they're bumping into things. And then once they're fitted with glasses, they realize just how blind they were. Um, and that this experience right now for many Americans is just just a growing awareness of just how blind we've been to many, many things um, that our neighbors live with every single day. Um, and then uh, there's a conversation about uh, the way you hear the phrase, we've come a long way, the acknowledgement that it is accurate to say we have come a long way. There was for 339 years actual slavery, people owning other people as property uh, and denying their humanity, 339 years of the history of our nation. And then we had a period of history uh, under which uh, Jim Crow laws were enacted. And for many people uh, who were once slaves, the reality of slavery didn't actually change much under Jim Crow. That's important history to know as well. So yes, we've come a long way from slavery to Jim Crow and then to the civil rights movement. But one of the things that you have to acknowledge is that we still have a long way to go, all right? We still have a long way to go until this actually becomes uh, a a nation where not only is everyone free, but everyone um, has has liberty and justice genuinely for all. Um, It was acknowledged during the video that if 70 years ago, Emmanuel Acho, a black man, had spent the night in the home of a white couple, Chip and Joanna Gaines, Um, he would have been executed. If 70 years ago, uh, Emmanuel Acho, a black man, had spent the night in the home of a white couple, Chip and Joanna Gaines, in Waco, Texas, he would have been executed. So yes, we've come a long way, uh, but we still have yet a long way to go. Uh, Following that are questions by two of the uh, Gaines kids. Emmy asked a question. Drake asked a question. 
Um, I really encourage you to go and check it out on YouTube. It's Emmanuel Acho's Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. This is the third installment. I encourage you to watch uh, all three videos if you have not yet tuned into that. Okay, and a conversation about what else we're tuning into. Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In Ministry is up next. We're going to talk about a couple of films, uh, Artemis Fowl, and we're also going to talk about Selfie Dad. And then um, if and when we're going back to the movies, what's that going to be like? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, joining me now, Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In Ministry. You can find what we're talking about today at PluggedIn.com. Adam, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. All right, talk with us about Artemis Fowl. Because I uh, have kids in my home, I am familiar with Artemis Fowl, but tell us about it. Artemis Fowl is a new movie on Disney+. Plus. It was supposed to be in theaters. Obviously, it's not. Uh, But it would have been a sort of medium big deal, but a small enough deal that they were willing to to put it out streaming as opposed to the theatrical release. Uh, It tells the story of Artemis Fowl, who is a 12-year-old genius who's pretty much smarter than everybody, uh, which, you know, sometimes those kinds of people can be annoying, but he's a pretty likable character. Uh, And his dad is known as a criminal mastermind and then goes missing. Uh, And then Artemis gets a ransom note. And so the movie sort of has two overlapping uh, foci, I guess you would say, focuses. (laughs) Um, Artemis wants to, you know, prove to people that his dad is not the criminal that everybody thinks he is. And he wants to find his dad. And it turns out that his dad is deeply interested in Irish folklore uh, and leprechauns, banshees, sprites, fairies, and These creatures, though most people don't know it, are real in this movie, which Artemis discovers a whole bunch about. So it kind of has a Harry Potter-ish light uh, kind of vibe to it. Um, Okay, could you say C.S. Lewis? Because I get less pushback when the magical creatures of C.S. Lewis are mentioned versus when the magical creatures of Harry Potter are mentioned. So Artemis Fowl. Definitely. We can go C.S. Lewis light. No worries. And, And that's really the only content issue that I think people are potentially going to have a problem with here is, you know, the mythical universe in which this is set. Some terrific messages about friendship and loyalty. Uh, It's an action adventure movie. So obviously there's some peril and uh, some fairly mild violence. Um, Actually, some of it may seem pretty intense, but it's, I mean, we're talking a movie about a, you know, a kid genius here. So it's not bloody or gory or death filled, Anything like that. Um, and really, that is is about it. Um, you know, a little bit of toilet humor, but nothing that, that makes me just totally facepalm as a parent here and say, oh, man, I wish they wouldn't have gone there. Um, the author, whose name I am not going to pronounce correctly. How are you on your Irish pronunciation? Not not good. Not avoiding so this altogether. So it's, so it's uh, I think it's Ian. Ian Colfer, although it's spelled in an unusual way, describes the novels as diehard with fairies. So that gives you a sense. And I'm thankful, though, that it's not diehard because diehard was an R-rated franchise with lots of problems. So this is not that. 
All right, uh, so that's Artemis Fowl. We don't. Yeah, I think it's a fun, uh, fun, fun movie. We're probably gonna, you know, find somebody who has Disney Plus and go put our masks on and watch it. All right, Selfie uh-huh. Dad. Selfie yeah. Dad. I I've actually seen Selfie Dad. I previewed it in somebody's home. I don't know several months ago. So I'm excited uh-huh. to see that it's coming out. Yeah, Selfie Dad stars Christian comedian Michael Jr. as uh, a dad who's going through a midlife crisis. He's uh, even though he's doing a great job at work, his boss doesn't appreciate him. He's pretty disconnected at home, and his wife is, I think, rightfully frustrated with his passivity and disengagement. And so she's kind of on his case. And he secretly harbors a desire maybe to be a stand-up comedian, which was something he pursued early on but then gave it up. Uh, his father was a comedian, and there, there's sort of a, a big subplot there. Well, not a big subplot, but um, he's sort of processing some daddy issues. This is a guy who's having some problems. And he's got a guy at work who is gung-ho for his faith, who's really trying to help him re-engage with that area of his life. But uh, Ben is just kind of faking his way through. His son shows him a video on a, a video platform like YouTube called U2 uh, and tells mm-hmm. him, you know, if you get enough views, you can make millions of dollars. And the light bulb goes on. Hey, I could be an online comedian. Uh, ben pursues that. He has really something pretty close to overnight success. Uh, and then it all falls apart, and he has to reckon with the realities of how he's failing as a dad and as a father uh, and what it really means to trust God with his life. Here's the thing I love about this movie. Uh, it's it's really emphasizes the importance of our the Bible in our lives, and the tagline is, read the Bible, change your life. And we see that in Ben's life in a way that I think is pretty accessible and and pretty encouraging. I uh, would 100% agree. Um, I can recommend Selfie Dad. I've previewed it, uh, and I'm, yeah, I I think it's fun, and it's engaging, and it's a good conversation starter and all those things. Hey, yep. let's take a very brief break. When we come back, um, as theaters announce that they're, uh, that they're reopening, um, when will new movies return to the theaters, and what are your expectations in terms of our experience when we, when we go to the theaters? That's up next here with Adam Holtz on Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, returning to my conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In Ministry. Um, Adam, before we move to theaters, um, yeah. let, I didn't know that you'd had an opportunity yesterday to talk with Michael yeah. Jr. from Selfie Dad. Um, one of the things that you and I did not make mention of a moment ago was that uh, he happens to be a black man. Um, yeah. And apparently some of what's going on in the culture today came up in your conversation with him yesterday. So I wonder if there's anything from that you'd like to share. Yeah, you know, the the entry point to that was a scene in the movie near the end where he gets pulled over by a police officer. uh, And apparently he ad-libbed the scene and, um, you know, he talks about what a black person has to do. You know, put your hands on the wheel. If you're a man, don't have too much bass in your voice. Don't look the cop in the eyes. Uh, And then he sees it's a black cop and he said, oh, it's going to be okay. It's it's not the police. It's the police. And it's a funny scene. But I asked him, you know, in the current context of where we're at, you know, are people going to be able to receive that? Um, and and he talked about how different the scene was the way it was originally written. And that led into a conversation about his own experiences as a black man. I think when he was 19. He had some police officers mistakenly break into his house, not break in, but they they came into his house. I guess they probably no didn't knock break warrant. in. <laughs> yeah, no, no knock, knock warrant. warrant. 
Yeah. Yep. Um, and they thought he was a criminal and that, you know, there were guns drawn and he talks about how angry that was, but that he was able to comfort a neighbor who they eventually found the person they were looking for. His neighbor was a Hispanic woman with children, didn't speak English, but he was able just to, you know, sort of non-verbally comfort her and give her a hug. And he realized in that moment, and there's a lot of wisdom here, that he had a choice. He could stay angry or he could begin to redirect his anger by looking towards somebody else's needs. And so he didn't in any way minimize the injustice of what had happened, but he talked about how that was a key moment helping him redirect his own anger as a black man who, you know, had experienced something that was totally unjust and a really, really powerful moment in our conversation yesterday. Uh, And I, I think it's just a reminder of um, all the things that we have been talking about. And I I won't say too much more, but uh, that scene in the movie was the, the entry point to have that conversation. All right, so yet another reason to see Selfie Dad. Um, Where are people going to be able to watch Selfie Dad? I don't think we talked about that. You know, I think it's on all the major streaming platforms, so you should be able to get it on Amazon Prime, Google Play, Hulu, Fandango. Everybody's got a streaming app, it seems like, these days. So it should be able to find it anywhere. And I think it's $19.99 to rent it, because with these first-run movies, they're a little bit more expensive since they're not in theaters. Yeah, you know, still cheaper than than you know exactly. taking your wife and your and your three totally. kids to a movie. So and it's yep. definitely family friendly and uh, and yep. worthy of watching. Um, yes. It is produced by you know Christians, and so you know want to be just financially supportive of it. I mean as well, that would be yeah. part of my part of my appeal to people. All right, yes, um, hey, talk with us about theaters. Um, some of them have announced that they are opening. Um, right. When will new movies return? Uh, and what do you sort of expect? people's uh experience at the theater to be when we go back well this sort of feels like a moving target amc has announced that it'll be opening up in mid-july uh and they were going to be having tenant uh the new christopher nolan movie to play uh was supposed to come out july 17th it has moved back to july 31st wonder woman 1984 has pushed back from august 14th to august 2nd uh, at this point, there are a few sort of under-the-radar movies coming out, but it looks like Mulan is still scheduled from Disney on uh, July 24th. So really, that's going to be the first big one. But, you know, if you watch the news, we know that the coronavirus cases are increasing in like, you know, 22 states or something like that. And I won't be a bit surprised if both the theater reopenings and these particular dates for these films shift again because uh, it seems like we're maybe going the wrong way. So uh, we'll just kind of have to wait and see. I think when theaters do reopen, you can expect spaces be- between seats. I know there's some talk of in some theaters of putting plexiglass shields up between rows. Uh, it's going to be a different kind of experience, you know? You're not going to be able to put your feet on the seat in front of you, for no, sure. No, I'm just going to I'm just gonna kick that shield till it comes down. No, I'm not going to yeah, do exactly. that. I, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Uh, because, you know, they're already adding me. Uh, Adam, uh, the Wonder Woman 1984 uh, movie is pushed back to October 2nd. Oh, yes. what did I say? Not, did I misspeak? Well, uh, August 2nd, which made people uh, think oh, it was coming uh, out yeah. sooner. No, no. no Push back to October 2nd. I know. No, no October, you know, my, it's, my it is fair to misspeak. We allow that here. <laughs> um, but then, you know, <clears throat> yes. I try to I, I try to answer what I can. All right. Um, 
Uh, you want to talk about God and doubt because this is a really good um, piece posted uh, posted at PluggedIn.com. Yeah. You know, we have a guy on staff at Focus named Glenn Stanton who is uh, among the deepest thinkers I know there or really anywhere. He is the director of Global Family Formation Studies. He's written a bunch of books on marriage and, and faith. Um, and he just wrote an open letter to John Steingard, who was the lead singer of Hawk Nelson, who announced about a month ago that uh, he was walking away from his faith. Uh, and some parts of his announcement were, you know, I'm done. Other parts expressed it more in terms of doubt. And so what Glenn does here is just articulate that there is a long and rich Christian tradition of grappling with doubt in our faith and that the questions we have are not questions that we need to be afraid of, but we can embrace embrace those. And even if we have moments of of doubt, it doesn't mean we have to just completely punt on Christianity. And so he talks about, obviously, Thomas, who doubted. He talks about Jesus' own struggles um, as he went to the cross of, of, you know, asking his father, does it have to be this way? I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Um, and then Mother Teresa, and a lot of people may not know that Mother Teresa had like a 50-year uh, dark night of the soul is what John of the Cross called it, where her experience of God's presence really dried up. And, and she was in what she would describe over and over again in her personal memoirs as, uh, as spiritual darkness and just a sense of God's absence. And so it's a great article, uh, I think, on wrestling with those issues and that doubt doesn't mean that we have to give up on the faith. And in fact, doubt is a pretty natural thing for many believers. Adam, um, it's always uh, good to talk with you. It's always good to catch up on what is uh, what people are watching. Um, have you been, uh, we got like a minute, have you been watching these Emmanuel Acho Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man? No, I haven't, but just you okay. talking about so, them this morning makes me want to watch them. Yeah, would you please, because I, I think that it would be helpful to have a review of what's happening on YouTube right now in mm. on some of these exploding platforms. Um, and yeah. his would be one I would be really interested in uh, in seeing and hearing some reflection on. He is a Christian, um, and his heart in all of this is so in the right place, and I just... You know, so I'd, I'd love to see some I'd love to see you guys reflect on that and what you think. And because it always helps me know whether or not I'm interpreting things correctly. <laughs> sure. Well, I will take All a right. look and we can go from there. I love that. Thanks so much. Hey, as always, we appreciate you joining us. You guys can find Adam at PluggedIn.com, the ministry of focus on the family. We'll be right back. All right, that is Rob Kenny. Uh, if you're looking for it, it's Dad. How do I how to videos uh, on YouTube? Um, just encourage you on this Father's Day weekend maybe to check that out. Maybe send a well, certainly send a prayer of thanks to God um, for whoever it is in your life who has functioned as a dad. Maybe it is your biological father. Maybe it is a stepdad. Maybe it is a man who has filled that role in your life in ways that are significant and important to acknowledge on this Father's Day weekend. All right, up next, Kara Meredith. Kara joined me a little over a year ago to talk about her book, The Color of Life. Kara um, is a white woman. She is married to an African-American man. His dad is a civil rights icon. Um, their life together is, um, is beautiful, 
but complicated. She is the host of Color Outside the Lines, which is a blog at Pathios, and she's joining me uh, today not only to revisit her book, but to also just talk about her thoughts over the last few weeks and what she's experiencing with her own family and her own kids and her own community in these days. So up next, Kara Meredith, author of The Color of Life. We'll be right back. Do you recite your woes more naturally than you do heaven's strength? No wonder life's tough. You're assuming God isn't in this crisis. Isabel spent her first three and a half years in a Nicaraguan orphanage. As with all orphans, her odds of adoption diminished with time. And then the door slammed on her finger. Why would God permit this innocent girl to feel even more pain? Might he be calling the attention of Ryan Schnocky sitting in the playroom nearby? He and his wife had been trying to adopt a child for months. Ryan walked over, picked her up, and comforted her. Several months later, Ryan and Christina were close to giving up, and Ryan remembered Isabel. <laughs> Little Isabel is growing up now in a happy, healthy home. A finger in the door? God doesn't manufacture pain, but he certainly puts it to use. This is Max Locato. Your crisis, you'll get through this. Welcome back. I am delighted to have with us today Kara Meredith. You remember the conversation that we had a little over a year ago about her book, The Color of Life. I would encourage you to go back and grab the podcast from that conversation. You can do so at MyFaithRadio.com. Go to the Mornings with Carmen page and find the Color of Life conversation I had with Kara last year. She's back today. We're still talking about the same subject matter, but sort of a year, a year hence. So Kara Meredith, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. Just delighted to be here. So um, for our listeners who may have slept since uh, since the debut of uh, of the book, um, remind us a little bit about your story and why we're talking with you uh, about the challenges we're facing in terms of racial relationships in the country today. Absolutely. Uh, so the book, my book, The Color of Life, is a spiritual memoir about my journey as a white woman into issues of race. Uh, really, if I could have one tagline about it, I would say it was, it's, it's the power of love that helped me see color. Uh, so it was, it's all about, um, it was, well, it's past tense, but all about, uh, falling in love with, um, the man who would become my husband. Uh, he's a, a black man, the son of a son of, um, black icon and civil rights icon, James Meredith, uh, who was the first black man to integrate into the university of Mississippi in 62. And then, um, he led what became known as the Meredith March against six, uh, the Meredith March against fear in 66. Um, so, so really it's my journey into, um, falling in love with my James and getting to know a new side of history and eventually also, uh, becoming a parent of, of mixed race young boys and, uh, and, and learning a whole lot about life and certainly also about my own racial identity and, um, whiteness and uh, white privilege and all of these words that for some of us and probably for some of your listeners um, are, are cropping up for the first time and folks are beginning to wrestle with in our country. So uh, thank you. And you have just you know highlighted a number of conversations that I would like to have. 
Um, one is a conversation about raising your boys and the talk um, and wondering if your family has had the talk that we're hearing about um, in uh, in families where dark colored children are being raised. I'm, I'm curious about that. I'm also curious about the conversations that you are having at the intersection of faith and race um, and, and whether or not you see some signs of hope in the church. Uh, I know that you've been featuring a series uh, on your on your blog at Coloring Outside the Lines, a series really related to learning and lament. Um, so I'd like to talk about that as well. So start with any one of those three that you want to, and let's uh, start tilling that soil. Sure. Um, so our boys now the boy the the book was written when um, my boys were I think probably one to four ish years old. Uh, they're now almost six and eight. Uh, we live in the San Francisco Bay Area. And, um, to be totally honest, uh, yes, we, we do, um, we've absolutely had the conversation if we were to put quotes around that, um, more so I, and I, and I think perhaps more importantly, we've been talking about, my husband and I have been talking about and have been intentional about talking, uh, talking about issues of race with our boys since they were very young. We haven't shied away from the conversation. Um, in a, I, I do quite a bit of, um, presenting and teaching and speaking on the side, in particular with different um, friends and co-presenters who are people of color. And so literally just two nights ago, we had um, my friend Lita and I uh, had our first conversational events. It was, event. it was a socially distanced conversational event on talking to kids about race. And the very first thing that we bring up is to engage now, no matter how old they are, um, because children, infants as young as six months old, can identify and make racial preferences. But uh, we have not, sh- in that in that light, we have not shied away from having conversations about what has been going on in our country and really in our in our city and in our own neighborhoods. Uh, we've taken the boys to a couple of family friendly protests, um, and and while we do live in a, a fairly progressive area. Um, it, and, and so the boys have also received, I think they've received conversation at school. Um, we've made sure that they've also had it at home. So as far as the conversation, yes, um, it is not our privilege, uh, not to have the conversation, I think is, is probably the, perhaps the only sentence that needs to be said. Um, in light of, uh, simply what this means, um, to those of us in the faith community, I, I can't help but hold on to hope. And maybe I'm a hope monger. Um, and I and I do think that's a good thing. But protest, the act of protest, um, is is made to give voice to those who have been rendered silent. And right now, um, there is voice to those um, whom our country and specifically the, whom our churches have rendered silent. And that encourages me. It encourages me when um, I see Black authors uh, topping New York Times bestseller lists, and that's both fiction and nonfiction, Christian and general. Um, it encourages me when I see people passing the mic, both in faith-based spaces uh, and not. It encourages me when I see churches, um, w- when I see when I see churches uh, um, apologize and lament and say we've gotten this wrong. And they have, um, and and they are they are hiring with intention. They are working with diversity consultants. They are entering into listening and learning. Uh, they are giving up positions of power, um, which which exists certainly within our own churches. So, I I am hopeful in the midst of um, 
in the midst of a very intense time, in the midst of hurt. Um, it, it, this is an intense time in my family and in, in and for my husband. And, and while I'm not going to go into details and tell his story, this, it's intense at our house. Um, every day when we see the news and it's, it's still here, this, uh, you know, social media might be going back to pictures of small, cute humans and, or whatever people put up there, but, but the fight is still real. And this is still going on. The conversations are still there, even if, uh, rioting, for instance, is going down. Um, I'm talking with Kara Meredith. She's the author of The Color of Life, A Journey Toward Love and Racial Justice. We had a conversation about her book upon its release last year. Um, we're continuing the conversation with Kara um, because she lives a reality each and every day that um, many of us, in, in her own words, have the privilege of ignoring most of the time. We have reached a place in our culture and certainly in our conversations as faithful Christians um, that these are conversations we can no longer ignore. It's really no longer anyone's privilege to avoid mm-hmm. these conversations. And so we're trying to have the uncomfortable conversations um, and actually grow in our own discipleship, in our own maturity uh, before the Lord. So we're going to continue this conversation with Kara Meredith in just a moment. Show me your face. Fill up this space. My world needs you right now. Continuing my conversation with Kara Meredith, author of the Color of Life, A Journey Toward Love and Racial Justice. You can find Kara online at karameredith.com. That's a great place to also uh, connect with her blog, Coloring Outside the Lines. Um, Kara, I'm aware that uh, at your blog, you have been, um, you invite other people to speak there. Like it's not just Kara's voice that we hear on your blog. Um, talk a little bit about what you have been hearing and learning from others um, in this season. Absolutely. So every Tuesday I feature another writer and, um, this year I, um, I, when I was, when I was asking different friends, friends, mostly on the internet, but different writer friends, uh, to, um, to write for me, I also, um, made a promise that 50% of the writers featured would be women and or people of color. Uh, and it's been, it's been a very, um, beautiful thing to say the least, um, and, um, humbling to, uh, invite and have and host and feature all of these different voices into the space. Um, the question that you asked earlier about lament, um, part of that, the so so everyone in this year's theme has been asked to write about, uh, to, to simply write about uh, listening and learning, whatever it is that they're listening and learning. And so the interesting thing is that several of the writers in the last month or two have all been listening and learning and writing about lament specifically. Um, and lament is something that for all of us here in the U S and I, I guess this is an answer to your question, but um, th- this is something that so- I think some of us, and maybe in particular um, those who would identify as white and or um, the white evangelical church don't, we don't always know how to lament. We don't know how to enter into this, this, um, intentional grieving and mourning, uh, which is also meant to be communal. And right now there's an invitation to do that. So I've been so grateful for all of these writers as of late who have been pointing us to that because it's what they're learning and listening to right now. 
So let me remind our listeners that just yesterday we talked with Mark Vrogop um, about the topic of lament, his uh, initial book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, and then the forthcoming book, Weep With Me. Kara, one of the Mm -hmm. things that Mark does in his book is he like outlines these sort of five steps in terms of racial reconciliation that grows out of lament. Um, And it starts with love and then moves to listening and lament. But he says, if that's where, if that's as far as you go, if, if prayer together, if shared prayer together is as far as you go, you haven't gone far enough. And the next two mm-hmm. steps are learning and then leverage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just thought you would appreciate uh, that, that language and knowing that as well. Um, talk with us about practical steps, um, because learning, learning and listening um, and lamenting together are really significant. And that is huge for a lot of people. But for a lot of folks, that's also, uh, that sounds like uh, not anything very practical. Um, Mm -hmm. And so is it practical? Are those things practical, first of all? And then what are some additional steps uh, we need to be taking? Absolutely. Um, So the first thing that comes to mind um, financially, if you are able right now to uh, for instance, support black owned businesses. um, and, And I say black because this is, uh, the black and brown folks, this is the conversation that we are in right now, in particular within our country. But if you are able to support locally black owned businesses, whether that's a restaurant and or a bookstore, whatever it might be, uh, financially, if you're able to do that right now, do it uh, in the same thread. And, and this is also along the lines of learning. But right now, there's a huge movement uh, just this week. So there's two days left uh, for those who are able to um, purchase two books by um, black or identifying black or brown authors uh, to do that. And, and that's to continue to help char- uh, top these, these charts uh, of book selling. That's never happened before that um, New York Times bestseller lists and other lists have been topped by black um, authors. So if you're able to do either one of those, that's, that's a tangible, very tangible financial way to start. Uh, but that also doesn't have to be financial. And I know right now is a time that um, many of us are experiencing financial loss uh, due to the effects of um, the coronavirus and the COVID-19 pandemic. So some things that I say or, or encourage folks to do, um, two things. One is, um, is, to, is to dig into that which is experiential in your own community. So for instance, um, all of us, we live on um, indigenous land that was, that was originally um, lived on by folks of Native American descent. So dig in uh, locally to see, um, to see if there are different centers and or um, if there are trails, for instance, that you can go on, historical landmarks or cultural icons, uh, both again within indigenous, uh, for indigenous folks, but There might be um, an African-American museum of history and culture or an Asian-American museum that you could go visit or even just historical landmarks that mark your city. That's something that grownups can do with kids. Uh, So I would encourage um, encourage folks to do that um, if they're able to right now within social distancing or quarantine limits. Uh, And then the last one um, is simply to get proximate which is something that Brian Stevenson said, uh, writes in his book, Just Mercy. But I often, I often ask myself and I ask others, who's sitting around your dining room table? And while we may not have folks coming into uh, our houses, for some of us at least right now, um, it is one of those that we can be intentional um, and we have to be intentional about 
um, the friendships that we're building and the people that we are around. And so what does it mean to look around and say, okay, I'm going to look with intention at um, who is and isn't in my life. And I'm going to take steps forward. I'm going to be intentional in friendship, both as an adult, but again, if, if, if you're a parent or caregiver uh, with your kids, um, with those whom your kids are hanging out with. So those are three things that I might rec- that I might recommend as far as the doing, uh, which really is, yes, listening and learning and lament and love and stepping into actually doing something. You know, when you use the word proximity, um, I'm, I have rattling around in, in the back of my mind that proximity is good, but intimacy is, you know, ultimately where we want to arrive. Mm-hmm. And it sure, seems sure. like, between, but for those of us, um, well, like me, I won't speak for everybody here, but for me, proximity, um, then moving in the direction of hospitality has the possibility of moving me toward a place of actual intimate friendship with someone. And so I like that you asked the dinner table question. Um, It's one thing for me to inhabit the same space with, uh, you know, with people in a restaurant. It's another thing for, um, you know, me to invite them into my home or for me to be invited into their home. And then the intimacy part of that is getting to the place where, the concerns of their children are my concerns. The concerns they have for their parents are my concerns that I begin to um, see people as a part of my family system um, in the same way that I see my, you know, my parents or my kids or my niece and nephew uh, in that light. So um, Kara, you and I probably have to leave it right there. Um, Let me direct people again to Kara's website, karameredith.com. Um, also check out her blog, which you can link to there from her website. The blog is Coloring Outside the Lines. The book, of course, is The Color of Life. And you can go back and listen to my conversation with Kara specifically about that book to hear a little bit more of her own story. Um, we featured it here a little over a year ago on Mornings with Carmen. Kara, thank you so very much for joining us today and you know, for living as you do and living then uh, openly as an example to the rest of us. Thank you, my friends. Honored to be with you. Honored to have you. We'll be right back. All right, just a reminder on this Father's Day weekend to celebrate the reality that in Christ, you and I are brothers and sisters, and we have one Father, and it is our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be his name. Let us hallow the name of the Father this weekend as together we celebrate um, our dads. Uh, my, my dad died when I was 15 years old. Um, and the, the dad that is in my life now uh, is my stepdad. And I love him dearly. He has been married to my mom for, I think, 17 years. So uh, they, uh, they wed after my mom retired from teaching. And it is a precious honor to be able to serve them at this stage of their life. So next week, I will not be with you because I will be caring for them full time. And so you will be in the good and gracious, godly care of uh, Paul Perot and Peter Kapsner and Dan Darling. And I want to thank all of them in advance for tending to things while I'm away for a week. I want you to keep listening, keep reading, keep asking, keep, keep seeking, keep praying, keep talking. Uh, Keep carrying God into the conversations of the day, bearing the light of Christ into the world that he so loves, represent him in ways that he would recognize. So that is my encouragement to you. 
and let us certainly be in the word of God today before we go out into the world that he so loves. But never forget, he so loves. He so loves. God is good and God is great. Have a blessed weekend. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.